You're listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon and I'm joined as usual by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. Hi Pilar and how are you? I am probably less exhausted than you are today. <laughs> exhausted? <laughs> how are you feeling after I'm good. the conference? I'm good. I, I had a yeah, I had a morning event, which we're going to talk about uh, for sure. But um, I can't believe it's uh, it. I'm just grateful I made it to my home office before this incredible downpour we're seeing in London. Right? Yes, <laughs> that would have been the icing on the cake of <laughs> of doom. Um, but yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm pleased to be here recording again with you. And well, we've got some some news and updates to share as always. And we're going to look at this uh, topic that we looked at. Uh, previously when we were looking at the, the notion of task management. Um, we're going to take that a little bit further and look at how you can manage your tasks in, in this regard, looking at apps and how to choose an app. Now, we did look at this about a year ago, but the landscape has changed quite a bit. And actually, I've done quite a bit of productivity-based training with groups. So again, my perspective and my views on these, I would say have changed a little bit based on user feedback, based on feedback from delegates. So it's very much some guidelines rather than some hard and fast rules in, in how to choose an app if you want to use an app. I'm always interested in how people change their views about something. So um, mm. yeah, looking forward to that. So let's start with some news. In productivity news, actually, this fits across all of our categories, <laughs> but I'm putting it into productivity. Um, uh, this morning here in London, I chaired a panel at the Dropbox Connect event. Uh, as the name would indicate, it was a uh, morning to afternoon event coordinated and hosted by Dropbox. And if you're not familiar with Dropbox, they are, well, they started as a, as a web platform for keeping files synchronized across multiple devices. And I think they were one of the first companies that made that kind of technology really easy to use for the average consumer. And since, since then, they've changed quite a bit. They've got a, you know, business platform. And, and today, as part of the event, they were talking about how their, their platform has evolved again to address, um, the user perspective. And um, I'm not going to go into all the details right now about what's new in their products. I'll, I'll link back to it and you can have a look. If you're a Dropbox user, you'll probably know uh, all about those, those recent changes. What I found really interesting, Pilar, was that a lot of the stuff they were talking about, we've discussed on this podcast before. Um, how, and the phrase was used a few times, how work is broken because there are competing systems, there are too many apps, knowledge is spread across lots of different places, we have so many stakeholders to interact with. Uh, it's all a bit complicated. And so they use this phrase, work is broken, with the implication they're, they're going to fix it with this, uh, with this system. Um, and so I would disagree that work is broken, full stop. But there's a lot of ways of working and there's a lot of challenges in the workplace. I suppose that that can make us feel like it's broken sometimes. Yeah, more like work is all over the place <laughs> rather than from, yeah. from the perspective that you were talking about all this, all these different ways in which we can do things. And I think all the different ways in which we have access and information about all the different ways in which we can do this. I think um, it, it, it's interesting. Yes, that phrase is, I, I agree. I wouldn't go with that phrase, but I can totally get what they're talking about. Very interestingly, they shared um, a figure from a piece of uh, research done by McKinsey, which was examining you know, what people actually do in the workplace with their time. And, and the figure that jumped out at me and really stayed in my mind was that 60% of time 
um, on average, people in this study, was spent on what they called work about work, not the job you're there to do. So that included things like administration and meetings and organizing yourself and looking for things rather than, you know, what's in your job title or what your priorities are. And there was a very striking graphic of five days of the working week with three of them crossed out, <laughs> leaving you two days to be productive and to focus on what you're really there for. Now, I, I, I'm not sure that every study that you would do in every organization would flag up 60% of time being spent on maybe distracting things or non-priorities, but it can often feel like we're doing a lot, but we're not making much progress, or we're doing a lot and we're not getting to work on our priorities. And I would wonder how much of that is about the way systems are organized, the way processes are organized in our in our organizations. I think there's also sometimes that it can feel like there's a lot of change, change around mm. process, especially going back to the, the point that Dropbox were making about changes in technology, changes in how we're doing things. So I think for the knowledge worker, yeah, 60% sounds like a lot, but I'm not surprised that there is that feeling of the amount of time that we're spending organizing work and also communication around the work, which... Um, which is part of work, but yeah, anyway, I don't want to go in circles. <laughs> but it may not feel like it. And I, th I agree with you. But, you know, when you think about how much time some knowledge workers spend just dealing with their email workload, yeah. when email isn't their job title, you know, it's a tool. So I think the work, in, it, the work is broken phrase is all about how maybe methods and tools are being conflated with goals and objectives. Uh, we're there almost at the mercy of these processes, systems and tools, rather than deciding what needs to be done and how can I do it best. And so some of these things are done out of habit, like organizing lots of meetings, like sending lots of emails, rather than, as we've discussed previously, establishing nice, clear priorities and, and working on things in that order. Uh, so that was that was something that really jumped out to me in, in the morning. Now, it was a very diverse event, which was lovely to see. It, it wasn't all about the Dropbox system, though that was interesting to learn about those developments. There was a range of speakers and panels talking about everything from the social psychology of elevators <laughs> through to uh, information security and how really that is a people-centric thing. It's less about the technology and more about education of users and helping uh, users understand the implications of what they do with systems when it comes to security, but also seeking to understand the user and their way of working. And that was quite nice to hear. It was a different take on information, not IT security than I've heard before, which was normally about rules and things you can't do. Uh, this was very much, let's, let's understand what the users are doing and, and try and work around that and identify maybe the weak links in the chain, mm -hmm. um, that, that kind of thing. So we, the people from Dropbox, but also uh, Channel 4, a, a range of organizations talking about that topic. Now, I was there to chair a panel um, all about growth. And what we were looking at was the fact that growth is contextual. Growth depends on the business that you're in, but it's normally something businesses want to pursue. And so we looked at it from a few different perspectives. An important one that I really wanted to address was, does growth have to come at the expense of employees and their well-being? Um, does the pursuit of growth necessarily leads to unsustainable ways of working. And to illustrate that point about context being really important, and so there's no one-size-fits-all answer to this, we looked at just the simple context of very large established businesses compared to smaller startups and how growth and culture and a people focus will look and feel very different in, in just those two contexts. We didn't even look at sector or, or country or anything like that. We, we didn't have time. But it was just to illustrate that there is no one answer to business growth versus putting people first. And that conversation, in a way, in a, in a way, reminds me of how sometimes we talk about productivity. So thinking, okay, growth means more, more, more of this, more hours, more, more people, more time, more pressure. The same way as sometimes we, we, we hear productivity being used to mean how can I get stuff done faster, whether it's a lot more nuanced. So that is also, um, 
that is also a very interesting way of looking at uh, at growth and what it really means and what it really needs. Exactly, and uh, you know, I would I might suggest that growth and uh, a people focus aren't necessarily in competition with each other, but they're two things that need to be looked at at the same time. Yeah. So if you take your eye off one of those balls, what the other's going to suffer. So it's worthwhile if you think of the slightly longer game in an organization. If you want to retain talented people, it's best to start uh, as you mean to go on in terms of having you know healthy jobs, meaningful jobs, sustainable working styles, while keeping an eye on growth and setting clear targets and having goals and, you know, an environment that encourages people uh, to work in the correct direction and having people in alignment and so on. But what was really nice is the panelists that I was, I was effectively interviewing, which was just as well, because otherwise I would just sit there and talk <laughs> for 30 minutes. Uh, that's what the podcast is for. But the, the panelists were from very different backgrounds. So I'm just going to quickly run through who I was talking to and um, their different perspectives, because uh, I think this is what added to the interest uh, this morning. So first of all, there was um, Tony Horn, who's co-founder of a digital firm, MBJ. And actually, Tony also works at Accenture. So as I suggested to him, uh, he has a pretty hectic task list with the, uh, with feet in both of those environments, but he was able to speak very clearly to startup culture and working in a very established, very, very large global firm and the differences between the two. And um, I'll come back to him in a moment because I think what he can, what, what he said could be boiled down pretty effectively to, to one key thing. Uh, there was also Simon Kirk, who's the Chief Technolo Technology Officer at Marken, and Dr. Angela Molter, who had come over from Germany for the day, who's the Head of Digital Workplace Strategy at a company called uh, Rehau. Um, very different organizations, a very different focus um, in terms of products, or in the case of Tony, services. Um, and yet everyone had a very clear view on the role of people strategy within and alongside growth strategy. And I think, I think there was a fair bit of agreement uh, on the panel. We weren't necessarily in, in you know, um, at each other's throats disagreeing. They brought different perspectives to it. And the thing that really stuck with me was Tony's point about hierarchy, that in very small startup environments, hierarchy is often shunned as being a complication, but and in very large established organizations, hierarchy can get in the way of innovation and growth because there's too many layers to go through. But he said there's this kind of ambiguous point on the growth journey when hierarchy is necessary and almost comforting to people so they can understand where do I sit in the scheme of things? Who do I need to ask or who is in control of this? And that's very contextual because that's not going to be a point in time or a set number of employees necessarily or a turnover number. It's just going to be one of those things the organization needs to get a feel for and then start to formalize things. And it's something I've seen in organizations on their, their growth journey when they sort of take their head up from the focus on you know, gaining tons of new customers and getting investment and so on. And then thinking, you know, we really should have a few policies because there's too many people around the place and we're all doing slightly different things. And I think it's that journey uh, towards being a more established organization that, that he was talking to. Mm -hmm. So we, we, did, we did a great discussion um, about this, you know, growth is at the, the base of, of all organizational journeys. It's a goal regardless of what that actually looks like, it's a goal there. We wanted to remind people there that it needn't be at the cost of the employees who are fueling that growth. And echoing um, a conversation we had in a recent episode about analog versus digital productivity, uh, Peter Jensen from Moleskin 
was a discussant. Um, I, I didn't interview him. He was interviewed by somebody else talking about this analog versus digital or analog and digital creativity. And uh, as, a, as a company that makes notebooks and encourages people to use paper to be creative and, and to ideate and to get things done, uh, he had a really nice way of describing how the analog fits into the digital. And, and at Moleskine, they don't see these things as necessarily being intention or competition at all, different tools for different purposes. So I, th I think a few people were maybe surprised to see someone um, who, who comes from a notebook company um, at a Dropbox event. But actually, after he, he elaborated on what their focus is and how they get things done themselves, it made absolute sense. They used to have, I don't know if they still have it, but they used to have a, it was a type of digital notebook. I remember seeing it in, uh, in there's, a, there's a shop in, <laughs> in the UK called PC World. And I remember seeing that it was integrated with some digital stuff. I don't know how it works. So um, interesting. They've I, got a few things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. They've got, they've got a, a kit where with a special pen and a special notebook, when you write, when they're combined, yes. it, it automatically transfer it transfers it um, into an app. Um, so you've got a digital backup. They also launched their uh, Evernote notebooks that were designed for writing on with any pen, but that you could scan in to Evernote and, and keep a, a backup of. Um, so this isn't a new a new thing for them. They've, they've um, been exploring the digital world as a, a nice companion to the analog world, I think. Um, apart from anything else, to address the, the critique of, well, you could lose that piece of paper. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's back it up somehow. But um, they've, they've got quite a few digital uh, solutions alongside all the many, many notebooks. But yeah, it was a nice fit for the morning. So, um, you know, I think um, uh, in terms of um, how the morning went, uh, we had a, a focus on um, new additions to the uh, Dropbox functionality. But from that point on, it was very much about what it is to be at work, how people deal with work, how people deal with systems, how certain systems like IT can be problematic and what we can do about that. Um, and, um, and of course, we were talking about the, the, the more fundamental growth uh, piece. But I was, I was delighted when I finished because once I'd done my bit, I was able to listen a little bit more intently to everyone who followed. So I had some great conversations with people over coffee and, and over lunch. So thank you very much if you approached me and, and we had a chat. Yeah, I wish I'd been there. Sounds really good. And I really like, I mean, the word, you've used the word context quite a bit uh, in describing some of the conversations. And I think it's really interesting for a, a company to have a, a conference around their product and completely place that product in context. So really nice. Mm, mm. It was it was great, and um, you know people were very you know in a positive way, sort of agnostic, you know, about it. It wasn't uh, one of those events you might go to that that feels like a hard sell. <laughs> this was just this is how um, work is changing, which was another theme, and this is how actually just because there's more than one way to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing. Um, because the more ways there are to do something, the more different people are using those different ways. And they had a really nice graphic of uh, a person in the middle of what looked like spaghetti junction mm -hmm. of communication channels and different apps and different methods and people. And their goal was to try and simplify that for the users so they wouldn't have to remember did I send that with an email? Did I just share the document? Was it in a Slack chat? In fact, they join it all up at the back end and you then don't have to remember the channel you've used. You just need to search for the name of the document or, or whatever. So quite user centric, quite exciting. I'm looking forward to having a play with it. In well-being news, Pilar, you shared a, a link with me in, in prep for this episode all about teletherapy. You want to tell us a bit more about that? Yes, it's, uh, well, the, the, the headline, teletherapy is on the rise as employees try to cope with a 24-7 workday. And it was on CNBC back in uh, on the 10th of September 2019. And... Yes, I thought I'd share it mainly to see what you thought of it, but also because I think it, it raises so many different things. Uh, one is I'm quite welcoming something like 
a faster way of getting to a therapist or even if we if we broadened it out to a doctor and also something that um, a, a no hassle way so teletherapy for me means that I can access that therapy wherever I am without having to travel without having to take a lot of time off work for example but at the same time the fact that <laughs> that the title says uh, teletherapy is on the rise um, so that people can cope with the 24-7 workday just means are we putting another plaster on top of the problem without uh, sorting out mm. the problem so I thought I'd bring it to you and to listeners to see what you all thought I think you make a really good point here because if someone has put a solution in place that copes with 24-7 working styles because you can't take the time to see someone about your mental health because of your 24-7 workday, then that's not really addressing the core problem. Um, I think it echoes a little bit about the, the corporations who provide concierge services to take care of all your errands. And yes, that's great, but it also means that you never leave the building. You never leave your office because your groceries are being done, your dry cleaning is being done, someone waits in for you or a plumber, you're never away from the office. And I think while offering as many routes to professional mental health support is a good thing, if people are restricted to one route because they can't get away from the workplace, then that's not a great thing. I like the article also because uh, it uh, has different perspectives. So it basically says how wonderful it's been for some people. And then at the end, it says some people would really think that they, they well, they much prefer the face to face. And I like that it's giving us some kind of diversity also. Um, mm -hmm. And I really like just going back to to the point about what's happening in the organization to, to, to encourage this. Uh, there's an example... Um, they talk about Cisco and how their culture is already a culture of ongoing communication, really looking after their employees, offering personalized solutions to employees to address their well-being. And uh, in that context, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So it's really interesting, again, to be seeing these things, again, context. <laughs> context. <laughs> it's really, context. It's really, it's really key. Yeah, yeah. And seeing that it's not going to be uh, a way of actually exploiting, actually, the employee, uh, the employee, but actually of supporting them. Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple of things in there. I mean, if if an employee feels more comfortable accessing support for their mental health remotely using an online tool, that's fantastic. And if that works for them once they've accessed it, then that's brilliant. It's not for everyone, though. Mm -hmm. And I suppose if th that's the only allowance that's made, then you're possibly excluding some people who really do want to leave work, sit down and see someone face to face. But another channel, it could be great. And there's more and more research demonstrating that this can be useful. You know, and I think we talked previously on an episode about apps being useful. There's some uh, evidence to support some psychotherapy apps as well. So the, the smartphones aren't all bad news. Uh, I, I think, though, the focus on long working hours here is what bothers me. Yeah. So let's move on to our main topic today. Uh, as I said in the intro, we looked at this notion of task management uh, a couple of episodes back. My, my main thrust there was it's useful to look at the tasks that make up our work for a number of reasons. One, it facilitates prioritization. It allows us to be quite specific about what is to be done or what could be done. It allows us to minimize maybe some of that overwhelm we feel when we look at a list and it's just projects and instead we could slice them up into actionable tasks. Um, and, you know, it's a much better answer to your manager or your supervisor when he or she says, um, you know, what have you got on today when you're able to list the tasks you're going to complete rather than, oh, I'm really busy. You know, and I don't think people pay enough attention to that. If you can talk fluently and accurately about your workload, that's a very different kettle of fish to merely talking about being busy or simply saying yes to every request because that's the easy thing to do. And that way lies overwhelm and um, probably some job related stress. Mm -hmm. So while we did look at this before, the world um, of task management moves on uh, without us. So I thought it would be <laughs> useful to dip back in and talk about some of the 
some of the concepts and then um, uh, some of the apps. But again, I want to underline, I don't sell an app. I don't have an app to, to, to sell anyone here. And what works for me or you, Pilar, doesn't necessarily work for everyone who's listening. And of course, we're talking about apps, but we did talk about analog methods previously. And if a notebook works for you, it works for you. And so you don't feel obliged um, to jump in on the app conversation unless you want to experiment and let us know how it's going for you. But there is no perfect way of doing this. It's just whatever's going to work for you in your job, with your level of responsibility, with your workload and your personal preferences. They play a role in this as well. Now, I summarized some of these principles a while back in a blog post. And I'm just going to talk about those principles again and, and link back to that post, but then talk a little about how some of these specific apps do or do not live up to these principles. And um, obviously, Pilar, any of your personal experience um, using these would be great to to flesh it out if you've got any thoughts on them. I am looking forward to it because I don't use do I use? I think I don't know if I use any apps for for uh, task management per se. So I'm sure that some of the stuff that you're going to mention I will be familiar with, um, and I really want to hear how, um, yeah, what to look out for it. So this is a great example. You and I use Trello, yes, to organize this podcast, and within that we've got checklists of tasks that need to be done to get each episode out. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. We there's an example. Now it's not often build as a task management system. But, you know, within it, you can create checklists and know when things have been done by you or other people. I think it 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 makes the grade here. So we might we might come back to that one. Yeah, well, yes, I have to say my uh, collaboration tools. I, I don't have any personal time. Oh, I'm lying. Carry on, Richard. <laughs> You're not lying. You're simply misremembering. <laughs> um, I would always start with ease of use. Uh, I think there's a temptation if if you can picture someone who's decided to change their way of working, maybe get a bit more organized. Maybe they've seen something online or a friend or a colleague has recommended something and they think, I'll do that too. And there's a tendency for people to jump in at the deep end. And actually, there's no point in trying to use an app early days with all these bells and whistles and bits of functionality that maybe aren't as useful to you, or even if they are, they're hidden behind lots of menus and it's complex to do the simplest reminder. So I would look for ease of use. And of course, that's a subjective thing. But if you're finding it hard to use after experimenting with it for a while, it, it may not be the app for you. Now, if I put this in a, in a specific example, ease of use means that as soon as you think of something that needs to be done, you need to be able to get that task out of your head and into the app really smoothly and not have to go clicking, clicking, clicking and find menus. And it just needs to be something that you know exactly what to do, where to type or indeed speak, because a lot of the apps will allow you to, to speak to them. If it's too difficult for you to use, if it's not intuitive, if you're frustrated with it, you'll abandon it and it, it will end up sort of gathering virtual cobwebs on your devices and you'll be back to remembering to remember, keeping your tasks in your head. And it's not a great place to have them if you want to uh, keep on top of things. I think this is a very interesting point because um, it, some apps really speak to some people in all sorts of way, I think, as you're saying, ease of use. I think there's also something about the being able to connect with the interface and with the design of something. Um, I, I find that some websites or, or some apps, actually, that I've looked at, there's just something when I go in them that doesn't um, doesn't want me to stay there. <laughs> they mm, might be easy yeah. to use, but I don't really feel. Whereas the some that actually, um, for example, there was one called Wonderlist, which I actually don't use very much. But the reason why I didn't ditch it completely when I started using it was because when I when I had a task done, I clicked and it made a lovely sound, and I really loved that. Uh, it's not enough to have kept me there. So, um, so you see, I, I was misremembering. I have used and do use uh, these kind of apps. Yes, yeah. 
Well, that, that's a great example of something that connected with you as an individual. And, and I'm sure it's not in the, the list of, you know, unique selling points for the app. It makes a lovely sound, but it connected yeah. with you. And that's something I hear an awful lot when people are exploring these, that they just like some and they just don't like others. And you know what? They're going to stick with the ones that they like. And, and using one, if it helps you, is far better than having one you don't like that has all the bells and whistles, but it's just lying there unused. It, it just doesn't make sense. Now, Wonderlist has gone to the big app heaven. Um, Already? Yeah, it, it was acquired by Microsoft oh, yes. and it's sort of been reanimated as Microsoft To Do. If you liked Wonderlist, you'll probably like the, the To Do app that, that comes from uh, Microsoft, which I believe is also free. Um, it's, it's worth having a look at. It's nice and simple. And it's available on a, a range of platforms. But yeah, just to put that one in mm. context, Wonderlist had a huge following. People loved that app because of its look and feel. You know, it was a very nice interface. Um, did it have all the functionality anyone would ever want? Of course not. But people really liked it. And that meant they used it. One of the other key principles to bear in mind is what platform will you need to access this on? And that's a fancy way of saying, do you need to get it on your phone as well as your work computer, as well as your home computer? Do you have two phones, one for work and one for home, but you want to be able to see your tasks on both? So many apps will now be multi-platform and it doesn't matter whether you're a Windows user or Mac OS, Android, iOS, it will appear on the platform and use some kind of synchronization in the background so that when you make a change on your phone, it shows up on your other devices. We say that now um, as if it's a given. It hasn't always been that way at all. And online synchronization via the cloud is, is, is working now, but for many years, that was a bit of a bone of contention and some apps did a much better job than others. Um, the, um, the, the point of this is that it removes friction so that you don't have to say to yourself, I'll remember this until I'm in front of my computer. You can simply say, well, I have my phone here, so I'll make a note of it now. Or I'm in this place where I could do some things. Let me take my phone out and see what tasks I gave myself today in this place, the shop, home, office, whatever it is. And, and that's far less to do than try and maintain separate lists on separate devices, which I would say will inevitably lead to you duplicating and or leaving things out. It's really important, as I said last time, that any app allows you to distinguish between tasks and projects. You know, projects, I, I would follow the sort of David Allen, getting things done book definition that projects are simply, you know, a group of tasks. Now, we're not talking formal project management methodology here, but something that can be split up into small tasks, that's a project. And if your app can't really cope with that, um, it may mean that you'll just have a list that's a mixture of tasks and projects. And it's highly likely that the projects will stay on that list incomplete because you haven't really broken them up yet. So a good task management app will allow you to name a project and then put tasks into it to help you make sense of that project, complete them in the order that makes sense for you, and then complete the project or archive it or, or, or something like that. But it kind of isn't essential to be able to distinguish between those things. Something that I wonder if, um, if, if apps are addressing, or maybe it's just something about us users and how we use them, is a way of keeping the projects as separate and as invisible from each other. So I put this into context. Uh, one of the... So using Trello, so I do use Trello for a lot of collaborations. So I have lots of projects in there. And when I open the app... Sometimes I go into one project and there's a notification from another project and it draws me <laughs> out. And many times I'm mm. thinking, I would love to have lots of different Trello apps so I don't go in somewhere and I am, get, I am uh, getting distracted by everything else. And I wonder if that's also a sign of the times that uh, as we are using the apps more frequently and more widely, we're having lots of information in the same place or eyes being drawn to different things. So when I'm coming to do one thing, I'm like, focus is being pulled away. It's a little bit like what we discussed before about picking up your yes. phone and getting pulled into a different app, right? And so some of these task management apps will allow you to imagine 
nested folders, folders within folders, will allow you to say this folder is full of projects to do with work and this folder is full of projects to do with your private life. And then you can choose which ones you're having a look at when you're in the app. And that can be quite nice for people who like to keep those things separate, uh, segregators, if you like, um, to use work-life balance terminology. <laughs> and then for other people, they don't really mind. They just want to make sure the tasks and projects are in there. And it's a whole mix of those things. And they, they have a preference to integrate uh, work and personal um, existence, really. So this comes back to what you like and how you approach work rather than there's one perfect app. Um, I, I use Todoist. I've said that before. That allows me to organize things into kind of areas of life, work, personal, well-being, some, you know, just keep things at a high level separate from each other. That works for me. I've, I've shown that to clients when we're talking about a task management app in a coaching setting, and some of them have just gasped in a mixture of horror <laughs> and disgust. Because they just don't want to go into that level of detail yeah. for them. That represents a big garden that you need to keep mowing every week. They just don't want that. They want the equivalent of a window box you know, or a rockery. And they want it to work and do the job, but they don't want to have to engineer it. And so that might be something that they do in the future when they realize, oh, actually, it is helpful for me to do that. Or they may never change how they do that prioritizing. <laughs> we, we've talked about this a lot, but if your list of things to do isn't organized by priority, it can be a distraction. You may end up doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, but it can also look a little bit overwhelming. So good apps will allow you to assign relative priorities to tasks and um, will, will give you that clarity when you look at it. And of course, priorities change. They may change on a daily basis. And so an app will allow you to change that easily. You know, some of the apps will allow you to filter the list in front of you and just show you priority one or urgent or what's been scheduled for today. But anything that allows you to slice and dice your workload to help you make more sense of it, and prioritizing is a big part of that, uh, that's important in an app. And, and obviously, I would add to that, and it needs to be relatively easy to use. Otherwise, you won't, and you'll just end up with this huge long list, and that can feel really overwhelming. And easy to see and spot fast, I suppose. Yeah, color works well yeah. here. So a number of the apps will use color to indicate, you know, this is urgent and it's often red. Uh, this is less urgent and it might be green or blue or yellow or something. But um, some of them allow you to change those colors so that it works for you, it, it's familiar to what you do. Um, and um, anything that distinguishes one from another. Now, an another element of that is, is adding detail to tasks so that you can sort them in another way. So many apps would call this a tag. So you could tag a task with a label like phone call or office or pilar. And that way I'm able to look at whatever's in the list and what's been tagged with phone call. Okay, these are all the calls I need to make. I think I'll start making those calls now. Or here are all the things I wanted to ask Pilar about. And so when we meet, it's a more efficient conversation because I don't have to keep calling you up afterwards with, oh, and there's another thing I wanted to ask you. So if, if ta um, tasks organized into projects makes sure that there's a coherence to your work and you can see how projects split out into those tasks. Giving some labels to the tasks allows you to spot commonalities and that's cognitively a bit more economical. And what I mean by that, it's more, it's easier for your brain to do a load of phone calls, then move on to doing a load of emails, then to um, move to a, you know, interpersonal task face to face. That's more efficient than moving between these in the sheer order that you see them in front of you. And you, you can feel the difference when you kind of group or bunch these tasks together based on how common they are, because you can really get into the groove and um, it can be a more efficient way of working through them. Now, not all 
apps will allow you to use these kinds of labels. So sometimes you have to be creative with it. But you know what? If you've managed to break your projects into tasks and you've given them some priorities, that's a huge way uh, along the journey um, if you maybe started with the odd post-it note scribbled on your desk. You can also, if, if the app, if you really like an app and it doesn't have a tag, it won't be able to filter it for you, but you could put it next to the name of the task you could add dash phone call or something like that. So it's really easy also for the brain to filter, even if the app exactly. doesn't have tags. I wonder also, yeah. Richard, whether um, it would be nice to tag them by time of the day when you're more likely to enjoy <laughs> or be able to do them like afternoon tasks or lull of time tasks or high focus time tasks. Uh, anyway, you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I, I definitely. This is what I cover in the Pillars of Productivity workshop. We talk about this. Um, you know, being able to use your self awareness um, to make decisions about prioritizing and scheduling. So, if you're a morning person, you might want to label some tasks AM or morning or easy. You know, and then um, five minute tasks. Or this will, I estimate this will take an hour. Uh, what that means is when you're sitting outside waiting for a meeting to start or waiting for a train, you can have a quick look on your phone and say, oh yeah, this thing was five minutes. I could probably do this now. So absolutely anything that makes sense to you in your job, in your environment could be one of these tags, could be one of these labels to help you make a little bit more sense of the task, bunch them up or simply be opportunistic we, and dive in for something that you like. Oh, sorry, Richard, but I was getting really excited because we haven't asked for any contribution from listeners yet. Uh, and I would love to hear what kind of tags they're using. So uh, worklifepsych.com for the longer form and at my pocket psych on Twitter. Sorry, Richard, carry on. No, that would be great. <laughs> I would love to I would love to hear from listeners as well. And I'm sure there are some very specific ones. And I'm sure there's ones that um, we could all benefit from if we <laughs> if we thought about them. One I've been using for a long time is waiting. I have a tag that I put on tasks that I'm waiting on someone else to progress and that I can look at a list of things I'm waiting on so that I don't have to keep chasing people, but I'll know that after a while, okay, I've been waiting for a week now, it's time to drop them a note. And that's a sort of um, mental safety net that I know it's not been forgotten by me, but I know that I'm not remembering to remember it. Yeah. It's saved there. I don't need to do anything. Someone else owes it to me. Now, the good thing about apps, as if that weren't enough, <laughs> the good thing about apps over, say, an analog approach is that apps can remind you. They can send you notifications. And so one of the ways that this can be really useful is in addition to sending you a ping at a specific date and time, which if it's really critical that you hear from your app at that date and time, then that's really useful. But you can also use apps on smartphones to remind you when you go to a certain place. So it can use GPS. And when I'm, you know, vaguely near this shop, remind me I need to buy that speciality cheese. Or when I arrive at the office, remind me dot, dot, dot. And so that that uh, sort of geographical reminder can be really useful because some things are less about the time and more about it can only be done at that place. But you know what? I mightn't check my list for that place, but if I'm reminded, then that's really useful. I never thought of that, <laughs> the, having the, the location remind you to do something at a certain place, probably because I have my uh, location services disabled. But I think that's, ah. but that's really, but that is very clever. Well, I'll give you a, an applied example. And this was just me thinking about me, right? And, and knowing how I am. Uh, I flew up to Scotland last week and I was going up to, to see family for a few days. And I knew I wanted to pick up a gift for my mom at the airport. But I also know me. Now, I know I wanted to get that gift. I knew that it was really important to me to pick up that gift. But I also knew that by the time I made it through the journey to Heathrow and got through security, I mightn't be thinking yeah. about that gift anymore. So I, I put a reminder in. You might think it's sad to have to remind yourself to buy your mother a gift. But you know what? I needed the reminder that said, when you get to Terminal 5, you need to buy this. And you know what? It did remind me because it had gone completely out of my head by the time I got through security. Why I got pulled up for extra security is a story for another episode. <laughs> But I was that guy who forgot all about the rules of what you can have in your bag. 
It was a busy day. It was a very busy day. Uh, but, you know, that's an example of like, if it is important to you and it could maybe only be done at that place, it, it's useful then to say, remind me when I get to that place. So these are sort of generic bits of usability or principles to bear in mind when you're looking for apps. One thing we haven't talked about yet is, is price, mm. because there are so many apps out there that could be helpful to you to organize your work. So many of them are free. Many of them are far from free. So if you're going to wade into the world of task management apps, I, I would really strongly recommend you just experiment with some of the free ones first to get a feel for how they differ from each other what you like in them. Now, many of them start free and then you can pay for a little bit of extra functionality if that's what you really want. But there's absolutely no need, I would suggest, to go out there and spend a load of money on an app when, you know, you're not really sure you're going to continue using it. So maybe if we have a look at some of the apps out there at the moment, again, I'm underlining this, I'm not recommending them because I have a commercial relationship with them. They're just really commonly used ones. Now, we talked about the first of these relatively recently, the Reminders app from Apple, uh, built into all of their machines. And, you know, it's really easy to use. Um, it's on different platforms. You can get it on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your desktop. It, you know, it, it does that. It doesn't allow you really to distinguish between tasks and projects. What it does allow you to do is to set up separate lists and you can have tasks that, and a task only appears on one list. Uh, so you could say a list of workplace tasks and a list of home-based tasks or a list that's shopping you need to do. That's about as far as it goes in the task versus projects. There's no hierarchy you can establish there, no nested folders approach. So that, that could be a bit challenging, but if you're starting from no app and this is the first app you try, maybe you won't hit the limitations of that. Prioritizing is included. You can, um, you know, assign a relative priority uh, per task. Um, you can't use tags, not in the way I've been talking about, but you can in the way that you've been talking about by using words like phone or phone call and then search for those. Um, and there are reminders based on time and GPS. So um, it, it's quite good for that. Now, I've been experimenting with it, as I mentioned before. I've been using it for personal tasks, um, low-risk <laughs> personal tasks, and it's been okay. Um, it, it's very different to Todoist on a, on a number of ways, but it's great for speaking to. It's very good at understand what you're saying and putting the reminder in without you having to, to type anything. The latest version of this, if you do start typing and you mention locations or dates or times, it can understand that and assign that to the task. So it's got that understanding of language so that if you want, it turns tomorrow at 8 p.m. into a reminder on the reminder rather than text within the task itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if I'm being clear. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's it is so clever. I'm just, <laughs> I'm still amazed. I don't know how. I'm, yeah, natural language is what they call it. Um, now, that there's a number of apps that have that. So, you know, the Reminders app could be a great starting point if you have Apple devices, if this is your first foray into managing your tasks out of your head or off paper because it's free. It's always backed up. It's going between all of your devices and all, all of that good stuff. It's very, very simple, though. So um, you might hit the limitations of what it can do for you relatively early on. It's just been updated, though. So there may be maybe some more updates on, on the way. Remember, the milk is one that we talked about previously, and I think it's worth reminding people about this. This is a, another one that's on lots of platforms, super easy to use, but it does allow you to create projects. It does allow you to add tags or, or labels so that you can make sense of things. There's great prioritizing in there. It sort of mimics the Eisenhower matrix, uh, four box model of prioritizing. Um, and you can get your reminders and, and notifications. And it does start off free as well. So that's one that you could experiment with. It's, it's useful for people whose business computers are locked down because you can access it via a browser. And if you're not allowed to install apps on your computer, you can just go to the web and visit the site and log in from there. And it's a, it's a neat little, um, uh, interface. It's, 
I wouldn't say it's the most beautiful, but it's actually quite clear, quite white, um, and it's easy to, to sort your stuff on there. It does have a paid version, but you don't need to start with that. And it's got a neat little picture of a cow. I know it was on my phone for so long I, or on my iPad just because I love that cow, but I never used the app. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the developers are delighted to hear that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it has a very friendly approach yes. to it, though. It's very gentle, very easy to use, I would say. But you can get quite um, advanced with that, with the different searches that you can do and you can filter. If you've got absolutely tons of tasks in there, you can filter it down to either, you know, an importance or um, a venue or anything else you've put in there to really make sense of that. So that's a, that's also a good one to start with. And it's a, it's a bit more advanced than the Apple app. Now, I mentioned Todoist a few times. That's one that I'm, I work on with coaches. If they're starting off, we'll start off with this because of its ease of use. It's on all the platforms. It does a great job of uh, prioritizing and allowing you to separate your work into projects and folders and areas of focus. You know, you can have multiple layers. It depends on how complex your life is, really. But because it starts free, you can have a good old experiment with that and learn how to write tasks. Now, that sounds silly, right? But as we talked last time, um, when we talked about task management, this notion of the grade framework I, I walked us through, um, you know, you, you are refining thoughts, ideas, requests into actionable tasks. So one email might lead to five tasks, but each of those tasks that you put into your app needs to be written in a way that it makes sense to you a day later or six weeks later. So you can practice that skill on this app and, um, they have a great um, uh, web version and the apps on uh, the different handheld devices are, are really good. Now, they're planning a big uptake to that um, some point October, November time. And um, I believe they're going to introduce boards, Kanban style. Ah. Yeah, I thought you'd like <laughs> that. <laughs> a little like Trello. And so I think, I, I believe it will be two different perspectives on the same work. So you'll be able to see it as projects and a list, or you'll be able to see them as cards on boards like Trello does. So that will be interested to see how that one pans out. But my experience of using this with people who are wanting to get more organized is that they get cracking with this really quickly. They find it very easy to use, but you can use it in a very complex way if you if you need to and i've never hit the limitations i don't think of todoist um as an app so it's one there's one that i like uh trello we've touched on right so trello isn't necessarily um a task management app but this is a great point if you need to have your apps or your tasks visible to other people and maybe to break down a project between you, Trello is a great way of doing that because you can create these cards which sit on boards and you can assign individual tasks to other people and yourself and you can see when they've been done. So it's great for that um, uh, connected working, that uh, interdependence that so many of us experience these days. That's not the case necessarily with something like Apple Reminders. I think it's really intended as a personal app, whereas things like Todoist and um, Trello, uh, I think they're, they're, they're aimed more at, you know, the, the organizational user, because you can actually share projects in Todoist with other people. And of course, Trello is organized around this, this sharing concept so that you can plan and execute as a team. I think also Trello as an individual, if you have a task that requires collating lots of information, so, for example, uh, imagine even if, if we use it to collaborate on the podcast, but it could be that one of us is uh, doing the, well, that you are doing the show on your own with a guest. It's a really neat way of putting all the thoughts in there. You can add checklists, you can put attachments. So I think it's nice for the, the larger tasks. Um, although you're probably going to say, well, a large task might need to be lots of small ones. <laughs> but I think for the for the larger uh, ta for tasks, when you need to collect a lot of information together in one place, I think this is uh, quite interesting. I, I agree completely because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the the card for this 
episode and it's predominantly text to guide us through the episode and then we've got a, a checklist of things that need to be done so we're, we're not really using it as a task management um, app but a really good piece of functionality in this app is that you can copy checklists from yes. other cards and reuse them again, again, again. And that's something that many of us have in our working lives. There, There's a checklist for a specific activity and yet we find ourselves writing it out again and again or typing it out. So Trello has a, a really neat trick in that space and you just simply copy it from another card and it appears. And of course you can edit it once you've copied it, but it's a big time saver, mm, isn't it? Definitely. So that's a that's a nice one for the um, the shared work and and it's a nice visual representation of work as well. It could support that Kanban um, uh, approach to organizing tasks to do, doing, and done. But you can be very flexible with it, and the um, creators have some great resources uh, to learn about it. That's another thing I, I might compare these on as well. You know, Trello has a lot of online free resources, so you can become a master user. Todoist has a huge following of people um, all putting out content, sharing their tips and tricks. And uh, Doist, the people that make it, also have some great resources. If you look at the Apple Reminders app, it's almost like, I don't know. <laughs> some kind of religious secret they don't want to let you in on. Yeah, there are some videos out there, but I don't think they've shared as much as they could. You know, it's a little bit like the fact you don't get a lot of instructions when you buy one of their devices. You're supposed to somehow mysteriously figure out how it works. So I think they've taken the same approach to reminders. It is very simple, but there's a lot you could do with it. So um, if you want support, if you want other people's ideas, remember the milk, Todoists, Trello, they, they might be ones to have a look at. Well, it takes us back to the beginning of the episode, Richard, where we're talking about context and the fact that these developers have been able to put their apps very well into the context of their users and they're thinking of how they can help them beyond the app. Absolutely. And you can tell the difference between a well-supported app that has a big user base and a passionate user base and an app that no one's really using and hasn't been updated in a, in a very long time. Because I said, this is a virtual industry. Um, I think a to-do app is one of the first things that developers learn how to make. Maybe it's taught on a course somewhere, but there are many, many, many of them out there. We've only scratched the surface. We're not going to scratch any more today, <laughs> but it's to illustrate there's lots of different ways this this concept, this activity of task management can be done using an app. And there is no one perfect app. And so if you keep looking for that perfect app, you may be wasting some time and some energy and possibly some money. I think for most people, it's a case of finding the app that does most of the stuff they're looking for and being pragmatic about that. And I'd like to encourage any listeners that are joining us for the first time in this episode to go back to episode 49, The Challenges of Task Management, as a very good companion episode to this one. We actually planned this, yes, didn't we? For once. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about tasks and then what you can do with them. And of course, we looked at this notion of analog versus digital uh, productivity before. You know, for many people, keeping their projects and their tasks in a notebook is absolutely fine. In fact, it's great because of their context. Maybe they're not working independently. Maybe they don't have a massive list of tasks. Maybe they have a huge list of tasks, but they've got a lot of discretion as to when they do them or how they do them. So I, I, I'm not anymore going to come down hard on the, <laughs> it must be this or this. Uh, I used to be very, very strong in, in terms of saying digital is obviously superior. It just doesn't suit everybody. And I think the main thing I've changed in my mind in looking at this over, <laughs> over the last year has been that very point. Um, and that's what I want to be clear about. I'm not saying you must use an app if you want to be organized and productive and not stressed out about your workload, because for, for many people, an analog solution is the very best way for them to approach it. So just think about your preferences. Think about your job. Think about what you're really there to do. Think about what you've tried before and didn't stick um, and think about what you would like to get from an app, you know, based on these principles we've shared. Are there any that are more important to you than others? And then have a play around with some free apps. I would love, I would love <laughs> if some listeners out there started this journey 
and let us know how they were getting on, if they asked us questions about the apps or if they were able to evaluate them for us. Uh, you can tweet us at mypocketpsych or leave us a longer message at uh, worklifepsych.com slash contact. Pilar, I think we've now addressed the topic of task <laughs> management from a couple of different <laughs> perspectives. So there's no excuse for us not to be clear on what is to be done and when it is to be done. <laughs> Uh, any final thoughts or questions on this before we wrap it up today? No, well, actually, one very quick one, and is that sometimes we might have more than one uh, app to help us along because some of them might be more suitable for certain kind of uh, capturing and uh, monitoring of tasks. So there's also that. But apart from that, you covered everything, Richard. <laughs> and so I'm just going to finish with the sad news that I am not going to use Apple Reminders anymore. <laughs> the experiment is over. Uh, I've tried it for a couple of months. Uh, as I said, I just put my personal tasks into it. And the feeling that everything wasn't in one All place right. was annoying me okay. and uh, even stressing me out. But that's just me. Yes. You might want to try something a little bit different, but I'm, I'm going to stick with Todoist. So thanks everyone for listening and making it through to the other uh, side of this episode with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this and ideas for future episodes. But as ever, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>